You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit votr.church. Good morning. Welcome to the Vineyard. My name is Chaz, and I'm the youth and young adult pastor here. Um, Thank you. I appreciate it. We had one whoop. That's great. <laughs> and I am so excited to get to share with you guys this morning uh, from the Word of God. If you're, uh, thank you for joining us. Wasn't worship great this morning? Yeah, that was powerful. That was so good. And uh, I want to thank you for worshiping with us. If you're joining us on the live stream, thank you so much for tuning in and, and being a part of our community in that way. Uh, if you're new here, if this is your first time here, man, I, I, I got to tell you, like you couldn't have picked a better time to come. I don't think there's a, a series that's more pertinent, more foundational to who we are as a church and who we're becoming than this one. You're joining us for week six of our Everyday Kingdom series. And uh, today's sermon, today is, is actually part two of the sermon that Natalie started last week talking about the fullness of God's kingdom. We've talked about many aspects of God's kingdom, but Natalie said last week that, that we see the fullness of what God has for us. We receive the fullness of his desires for us when we have both the gifts of the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit present. That it's not an either or, but both of those are, are fully, fully expressed. And um, yeah, I, I got to say this this morning, like, that those are two evidences of, of God's kingdom coming. But, but also this morning, I wanted to talk about another aspect of the kingdom of God. In addition to that, like another uh, aspect of the fullness of God's, there's no denying that when God's kingdom come, things change. When God's rule is present among us, things change, and they change for the better. We've talked about how God's, God's power can rush in, and he can, he can drive out spiritual forces and, and make bodies whole. We've talked about how the love of God can come into our hearts and transform us from the inside out that we would reflect the very nature of God. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the justice of God, how God's wisdom and his justice can come in and can literally change communities and change the relationships between us. For the people of God, the Jewish people, they actually had a special word for this, shalom. Shalom means peace, but, but I, I feel like I need to define it this morning because for us, peace can often be synonymous with just calm, Right? To be peaceful is to be calm, to have, a, have an absence of conflict. But, but the idea, the, the actual idea of shalom is wholeness. And it is the calm that, and, that comes from, from things being made whole. It is, it is a not dynamic peace. It's, it's when yet another evidence of the kingdom of God coming in its fullness, but it's more than just calm and comfort. This, this peace is dynamic, and it's more than just the absence of conflict. It is everything being made right and good. And the calm and the peace that comes as a result of that. I think Martin Luther said it best when he said, Peace is not simply the absence of conflict. It is the presence of justice for all people. Shalom is a peace that comes with true justice. It is the peace that results when the world has been made whole. When the injustices and the imbalances within our communities have been set right. It seems like we're born with an innate sense of justice, aren't we? Parents, can I get an amen on that? right? <laughs> uh, if there's an imbalance or a perceived unfairness, you can rest assured your kids will let you know about it, right? Uh, my wife and I, we have three kids, ages nine, eight, and five. And I can tell you the topic of what's fair is the subject of no small amount of scholarly debate in our house. 
In fact, we, we actually recently just came up with like a, a parenting contract, an agreement that we've made with the kids to settle this matter once and for all. It's a mutual understanding of our expectations and also the corresponding rewards and freedoms that come with meeting those expectations. It's been super helpful because like one thing's for sure, although we are born with an innate sense of justice, we are also born with a slightly skewed perception of what is actually just fair and good. <laughs> Preach, right? I, I tell you this because this morning I, I really want to invite you all to reawaken that childlike sense of justice. I, I know for so many of you, you probably at one point in your life were told, like, life's not fair, just get over it. And this morning, I want you to not get over it. I want you to reawaken that childlike desire for justice, but I also want to challenge you to also awaken some childlike humility. To actually call into question that you may not know, you may not have the best idea of what is right and fair and good for all. And in humility, to look at the word of God and allow it to shape this picture of the future for you. God's desire is to bring justice to the earth. But unless we submit to the rule and the reign of God, unless we inform ourselves with the word of God, we might find ourselves working to build a world that's very different from the one that God has envisioned. It is critical that we understand God's heart for justice, or we may find ourselves contributing to the broken systems that God wishes to change. We have a saying here at the Vineyard that we look to see what the Father is doing, and then we join him in what he's doing. And that first step is really important. It's very important that we look to see what God is doing in the area of justice if we are to partner with him. Our passage this morning is found in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. And in it, Jesus addresses four key areas, four areas of focus of what the Father is doing in the world around us. And I'm not saying that this is the only thing that the Father is doing, but in this passage, Jesus names these four. And, and these four, for us, serve as evidences of when God's kingdom, when his rule and his reign truly break in, when we're living under the authority of Christ, we will see these four areas of injustice in the world addressed. And so I, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. And I want to set the stage here for a second. In this passage, Jesus has returned to his hometown. And he's invited to teach in the synagogue that morning. Jesus' entire ministry has been about the kingdom. And, and today is special because this is the one time he was invited to choose and read the scripture for the Shabbat services, for the Sabbath services in his hometown. And of all the passages he could choose from, he chose Isaiah 61. And it goes like this. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is quoting the prophet Isaiah and he's painting a picture for us of what it looks like when God's favor is poured out. He says that if we're living in the fullness of God's favor, we will see these imbalances addressed. And here are the things that you will see. You will see the poor being ministered to. You will see the prisoner being set free. You will see the impaired being made whole. And you will see people uh, set free from oppressive and abusive systems. So let's take a time, our time this morning and walk through these things one at a time and focus on each one. The first one that Jesus mentions is the poor. As citizens of the kingdom of God, we must engage with the broken economic systems of this world by ministering to the poor. 
As long as there has been money on this earth, there's been a disparity between people. Paul addressed this with his first letter to young Timothy, warning him that the love of money is actually the root cause of all kinds of evil. Jesus certainly wasn't silent about the subject, teaching about money in 11 out of his 39 parables. In fact, finances were Jesus's most talk about topic, according to the gospel accounts. And you don't have to look far to see that there's economic disparity in the world around us today. In 1965, CEOs of major companies, publicly traded companies, on average, made 21 times what the average salary of their full-time employees. 21 times. And the reason behind this was because the fear of public scandal and outrage. But as a society, we have to see our lust for wealth has numbed our sense of justice and the gap between the rich and the poor has just gotten greater. Reaching a peak in 2020, now CEOs of publicly traded companies on average make 350 times what the median income of their employees is. And I mean, just to complicate that situation further, to to further convolute the issue, how can we talk about that disparity and not mention also that almost any one of the workers in those companies would be considered wealthy by a global standard? How can we talk about fair wages? It feels self-serving as an American to advocate for fair wage when 10% of the planet lives on less than $2 a day for a household. Or to know that in sub-Saharan Africa, one in 36 children born will die from preventable disease related to poverty. It seems petty to talk about our economic struggles when that is happening. I mean, we even have a word for it, right? We call it first world problems. So what can we do? What can we do about it? How can we join God in his mission to care for the poor of the world when there's such an overwhelming breadth of economic disparity? In his book, The Economy of Love, Shane Claiborne asserts that the greatest challenge in facing Christians from keeping them disengaged from the kingdom work of justice isn't economic, it's mental. He calls it a scarcity mindset. We don't believe that God has given us enough to make a difference. And because we have unmet desires ourselves, we convince ourselves that we are victims in this story as well, and therefore incapable and powerless to make a difference. So our unmet desire for more not only drives us to hold tightly to what we have, it also drives us to distance ourselves from those most in need. But our passage this morning gives us hope. It says in verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. You don't have to have deep pockets to do that. Jesus says that there is evidence in the kingdom that we would draw near to the poor and give them hope. That if we want to partner with God, draw near to the poor. Include them, welcome them, care for them, give them hope. Jesus' words in Luke 14 are even more challenging. He says, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus' invitation to us this morning is to simply share what we have. It's more than enough. For some of you this morning, the Lord might be prompting you to take radical, a step of radical obedience. 
to actually limit yourself in some ways, to take a, a, a vow of poverty, to choose to live more simply so that other people can simply live. I have friends that for a period of their life, they chose to do this. They were able to cut back on things that they saw unnecessary, the fringe things from their life. They cut back and intentionally limited themselves so that they can support six kids through Compassion International. Maybe God is prompting your heart to limit yourself in that way so that you can be more generous with the things that God has given you. You can contribute to compassion. You can contribute to Convoy of Hope, the work that's happening in Zimbabwe, or the work that we just saw that's happening around the world right now as Ukrainian refugees are fleeing everywhere. You can give financially. And I I don't want to leave that off the table because I know that God has prompted me at times in my life when I had very little to respond with radical generosity. And I have no doubt that my life has been radically changed by those, those acts of obedience. So I don't want to leave that off the table. But, but for others of you this morning, God may be inviting you to simply draw near to the poor. To join our Love Foco action team that, that once a month goes and serves at the rescue mission here in Fort Collins. With all the things that I'm mentioning this morning, I, I do want to make you aware that, that it's going to be shotgun. There's a lot of things that we're going to go over. A lot of invitations. And I know no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. And so I, I, I want to equip you as best as I can to actually take action on these things. And so if you look at VOTR Weekly under the sermon notes, if you follow along with what I'm saying, almost every one of these things will have some kind of a link attached to it where you can go and sign up and get involved in these things. If you want to be involved in the Love Foco Action Team, you can email Terry and she'll get you connected. But for others of you, if, if that's not the invitation to draw near to the poor, then let me just encourage you that you don't have to join a regular program. You can just take notice and be intentional about loving the poor that you see, the poor that cross your path. Before I moved here to Colorado, uh, I was a theater professor in Kansas City, and I worked with lots of different theater companies out there, one of which was the Heart of America Shakespeare Festival. And what the Shakespeare Festival did was, it was once every summer, they would mount a Shakespeare production in the park and make it free to the public. Anybody can come and roll out a blanket and watch the show, and it ran for about a month. And I remember on one particular occasion when I was out at the park, I was running the tech rehearsals, which meant I needed to stay for the evening rehearsals, and they were setting up the backstage area. And they had positioned the stage so that the backstage was in this part of the park that was covered with trees. So it was really shady, and the actors in their full Elizabethan garb wouldn't die in the June sweltering humidity of Missouri. <laughs> and, uh, and so they, they reserved this area for the backstage. But as they were setting up, there was a, a homeless man that was camped out back there. He was laying in the shade of the trees. And as stage management tried to encourage him to move on, it, 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 got, it got into an argument. There was shouting, and, and eventually he stormed out of the area and went and sat. And, and it really was one of the only shady spots in the park. And he went and sat on the wall just outside the backstage gate. And as everyone was, was witness to this endeavor, you could hear the murmur in the backstage as everyone's just like, man, what's this problem? Like, why didn't you just move? We, we have a show that we need to do. And, and there's just kind of general, general grumbling around the room. And, I, and I, in that moment, I felt the Lord just say, I want you to go share your dinner with him. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> it takes courage to draw near to those that, that others want to despise. And in particular, that night, I had spaghetti and meatballs as my leftovers for dinner, which is, is not really easy to share when you only have one fork. But 
I did it. I, I went up and I said, hey, man, like, I saw what happened there. I'm really sorry for that. Like, I know this is, it's like the only shady spot in the park, but I, I've got some spaghetti and meatballs if you want to share it. And he said, sure. So I sat on the wall and just ate spaghetti and meatballs with this guy. I heard his story. He was trying to get across the country back to his family, and he was just, just passing through Kansas City on his way there. When it was done, I, I just took a moment and said, can I pray for you? And just tried to encourage him. And I, I had to get back to tech rehearsal. And as I walked back through the backstage area, one of the actors stopped me and he's like, that was really good of you, man. And I was like, no, it's not me. <laughs> I didn't want to do that. And my God loves the poor. So I try to love the poor. Guys, if we draw near to the poor, the world will take notice. So I want to invite you this morning to notice the poor around you, to reach out to them and love them. I told myself I wasn't going to cry this morning, but you all with me? <laughs> let's, let's move on. Point two is, as Jesus said, the second evidence that we'll see of God's fullness coming is when the prisoner is ministered to. He came to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. If you're looking for fertile ground for the gospel, consider ministering to prisoners. Our own Larimer County Jail is overflowing with people right now that need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Did you know that Larimer County Jail was originally designed and built to house 450 inmates? But if you look at the dashboard available online right now, there's currently about 485 people there. At one point in this past year, it was up to 623. Jesus says another evidence of the fullness of God's kingdom coming is freedom for the prisoner, that those who are prisoners are able to re-enter society and live successful and productive lives. And it requires the church to engage in this work, to minister to them. We can't just wait until they've been released. We have to engage them. We can't say that this is a social services problem. The, the church cannot advocate her responsibility to minister to the prisoner. Just as with the poor, the way that we do this is to draw near. Ministering to the prisoner is very important to the heart of God. It's so meaningful, in fact, that Jesus equates it as being the same as loving God himself. He says in Matthew 25, that when I was in the prisons, you came and you visited me. And that when you done it to the least of these, you did it to me. It's the same thing. When you love them, you love me. Maybe God is inviting you this morning to start a prison ministry here at the church. We don't currently have one. To gather leaders together and, and other people to go and, and minister to the prisoners and the inmates. The Larimer County Jail is, is like a mile away right down the street from us. And again, if this is you, if you're feeling compelled to do this, you can look in the, show, the uh, sermon notes, and there is a Larimer County volunteer application available there. The link is really easy for you to click on and get involved. Or if you're a business owner this morning, perhaps God is inviting you to consider hiring a parolee or someone who has a criminal record to show them the love and the patience and the generosity of our God. I'm talking about proclamation and demonstration. Perhaps you know someone who's simply a little rough around the edges, and God is inviting you to be their friend, to invest in them and share with them the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. You can see God's kingdom come by simply making time to draw near to the prisoner and encourage them. The third area that Jesus addresses is, is the disabled. 
He specifically says blind, but I mean, we, we can expand, those, expand that to the, the imbalance that comes when our bodies don't function the way that they should. And Jesus says that you will know the kingdom is among you and the disabled are welcomed, loved, and restored. I can't tell you how meaningful it is for me that, that we prayed for Ukraine because three years ago, I was able to lead a team of about 16 young adults to Ukraine for three weeks to minister there. While we were there, we were working in a, a town called Zatomer with a couple named Jed and Kim Johnson. They were just normal vineyard people from Oregon who, upon hearing about the plight of young men with developmental disabilities in Ukraine, moved there to care for them. This young couple with their own kids, with kids of their own, have not only adopted but are guardians to several adults and a child, all with special needs and disabilities. After this trip, two of my students were so moved by their time there that they actually moved to Ukraine to join the Johnsons in the work that they're doing. People to come and help them take care of the boys who are so dear to the heart of God. I mean, it, it really wasn't long ago that Jed and Kim were people sitting in a vineyard church just like you when God laid it on their heart to go there and do something bigger than themselves. And perhaps this morning, that is you. Could God be moving you to come alongside the Johnsons or, or join, join into another ministry like that that you're aware of? In particular, if you find the plight of the Johnsons moving to you, like, please find me after the service. I'd love to tell you more about the work there. It's incredible. It's incredible the love and compassion that they show, the sacrifice they make to love the least of these in that country. But you don't have to go all the way to Ukraine to draw near to those with disabilities. You can adopt or foster kids with disabilities. By current estimates, there are 123,000 kids in the United States that are in need of adoption. Talk to any social worker and they'll tell you most difficult ones to find homes for are kids with disabilities. If you feel God prompting you to adopt, please talk with Terry. Again, you can find a, a link to, to email her. We have services, we have resources available to help families in the adoption process. Or perhaps you might consider joining uh, Young Life. Our partners at Young Life who are right next door Every Thursday night, they meet in the warehouse next door for a ministry called Capernaum that loves on students with disabilities. Maybe God is breaking your heart for students with disabilities and you want to sign up to be a partner with them. Ian Hargis is the leader of that ministry, and, and we can put you in touch with him. There's a link to his email in the sermon notes. But would you come and see the great work that God is doing on Thursday nights? Or perhaps you're just willing to give one of your brothers and sisters in Christ with disabilities a ride to church. The last area that we want to talk about this morning is the oppressed. And this, this, this word, the oppressed, it, it, it could mean any number of things. I think you can think of all the, it's, it really, for me, represents a, an imbalance in power. When, balance, when, when power and authority is wielded unjustly, there is, there is consequences for that. And to think about our world as a whole and, and those that, that suffer the most from this power imbalance. As I prayed about this morning, I, I felt like the Lord just brought up the, the plight of the refugee, of the foreigner. As God's kingdom comes in its fullness, oppression will cease. And until that day, we are called to draw close to the foreigner. 
At latest count, there are almost 2 million people who have fled from Ukraine, most of them women and children. And as the unrest and the fighting intensifies in urban areas, more and more people are left with fewer options. But Ukraine is not the only area that has unrest in the world and is producing refugees. According to the United Nations Refugee Agency, there are currently 85 million refugees worldwide. 85 million who have been forcibly displaced from their homes and their countries. 85 million people who, for many instances, had had to make the choice of flee and leave all of everything behind or die. I think it's truly impossible for us as Americans to understand their pain when most of us, the the most toxic abuse of power we've had is a, a bad boss. While I was leading that discipleship school that I mentioned earlier, I... I took a trip to St. Louis to visit a vineyard church out there and to see the work that they're doing in their city. And while we were there, we got to meet a young man named Justin. Justin was a refugee from the apartheid in Rwanda. Rwanda is a tribal country, and and there are many tribes that that exist, but the largest two are the Hutus and the Tutis. Of the two, the, the Hutus were the ethnic majority in 1994 after a terrorist attack by a Hutu president. The Hutus extremists launched an extermination of the Tutis in their country and any Hutu sympathizers. This all happened when Justin was 10 years old. One morning, his father woke him up in a panic, told him, uh, don't look back, just run. The extremists had come to his village with machetes. And so at 10 years old, which is really hard for me to imagine because my daughter's just about to turn 10 this month. At 10 years old, Justin ran. He ran hundreds of miles until he found himself in a refugee camp in in Uganda with thousands of other people. It is estimated that the Hutus killed over 800,000 Tutis in the course of three months, and two million more Rwandans were forced to flee the country or die while the world was silent. Justin found himself alone in a refugee camp trying to survive, and at 16, he was granted refugee status and allowed to immigrate to America to start over. It was difficult to listen to his story, and what's more difficult to hear how he was treated in America as a refugee. After all that he had suffered, he arrived into America to pretty much being ignored. No one tried to befriend him. As he told his story, he shared that after all he had faced, the most difficult season that he had was his first few years in America and the unbearable loneliness that he felt. After all of that, he said the hardest time was the loneliness he felt when he first came here. To hear the pain in his voice as he talked about his loneliness in America broke my heart and reminded me of this passage from Leviticus. Leviticus 19 where God said, The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God's heart for the foreigner is great. And as the people of God, we must welcome them with open arms and loads of compassion. We must be intentional to see the foreigner in our midst and to do our utmost to love them because this too is an evidence of God's kingdom, his rule and his reign being among us. Perhaps God is moving you this morning to love the immigrant and the foreigner in our city. There is a ministry near Greeley called the Immigrant and Refugee Center of Northern Colorado. Again, you can find a link for that in the sermon notes. 
They offer resources to families and individuals who to find affordable housing, to access to, uh, to education, plus English and citizenship classes. Perhaps God is prompting you this morning to get involved with the work that is being done there. Or another opportunity that's even closer, CSU has a program called International Friends. The International Friends program takes volunteers from the community and pairs them with international students based on mutual interest and creates a space for friendship to form. You're put in contact with students and, and you have them over for dinner or, and they get to learn about your culture, you get to learn about their culture. One of the greatest factors to immigrants adapting and integrating into American society is the ability to make at least one American friend, and many do not. Would you sign up to be a friend of an international student today? Or perhaps you already know someone whom English is their second language. Because of cultural differences, we don't often gravitate to these relationships, but perhaps God has brought someone to your mind this morning as I said that. Someone who you already know, and he's inviting you to intentionally invest in that relationship. Ask them out for coffee or over for dinner. Whatever it is, we, as the body of Christ, must take notice to the foreigner in our midst and do our best to welcome them, befriend them, and help them. I finish with this. The last thing that Jesus mentions in this passage this morning from Isaiah is the proclamation of the year of the Lord's favor. That God and his great mercy is the reason that all of this has been done. This is a reference to, in the law as well. With, within Jewish law, there was what was known as the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was a commandment given to the Israelites that every 50 years, there would be a year of celebration and rest. But in addition to those things, it was a year of justice. In that year, the Israelites were commanded to forgive all debts, release all prisoners, and return all property to its original owners. Every 50 years, there was a societal upset as the imbalances that were allowed to kind of grow up were leveled out and reset. Can you guys imagine if we did that today? As far as we know, the Israelites never actually celebrated the year of Jubilee. This never actually happened, but it was God's heart for them. The year of the Lord's favor wasn't celebrated until Jesus pronounced it. It is God's favor upon us that enables us to live lives of sacrifice and love to our fellow man in radical ways, creating a better world for all. And it's why our church mission statement is joining God's mission, transforming all things. And the invitation is for all of us this morning to be a part of it. As I said before, I know no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. Heaven is invading the earth, and the church is God's chosen instrument to lead the charge. I believe William Penn said it best when he said, True godliness does not turn men out of the world, but enables them to live better lives in it and excites their endeavors to mend it. God has chosen us. His favor is on us, and it is time for the body of Christ to respond. I know no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. Will you do something this morning? Will you do something to serve the poor, the prisoner, the disabled, and the oppressed? Let's pray.